morning, kids. Do you remember our theme for Advent? Give it away. Give it away. Let's say it all together. One, two, three. That's awesome. Hey, in the, in the uh, Family Advent Guide, if you guys are using that, the uh, give it away section of that is that you can participate in Christmas on the Streets. It's a ministry with love and care ministries where you give out Christmas presents the next couple of days. So there's instructions there your parents can follow if you want a service project for this week. You know, we've had the, the baby gifts and the blankets, and now you have another opportunity to give it away. And so hopefully you'll do that. Now today, our focus is, it is on God's love. And so let's, let's light our candle. So you guys help me out here. What was our focus the first week? Hope, yeah, good. And then the second week? Peace. That's right. And then today is God's love. God's love. That's great. Hey, um, do y'all remember the story of the shepherds? coming to the, the, uh, their field with their, with their sheep, and then the angels showing up and talking to them about the birth of Jesus. Do you remember that part of the story? Yeah, I wonder, I you do? did that in Sunday school. Oh, you guys talked about that in Sunday school. How strange is that, that things actually line up like that? Wow. Let's look at this together. I want to read to you what the angels said um, to the shepherds. So listen here out of Luke chapter 2 says, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And for today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a feed trough. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, I think that's kind of a strange message. That the Savior of the world is going to be born in Bethlehem. You're going to find him in a feed trough. Isn't that kind of strange? When the shepherds heard that message, as strange as it was, they believed what the angel was saying. And they went immediately into Bethlehem to find the baby lying in a feed trough. And they looked and they looked and they found him. And you know what they did? They told Mary and Joseph everything that happened with the angels, and they were so excited about that. And then they went around telling other people about it because they felt like they had received a message too good to keep for themselves. And so they wanted to give it away. And that's what they did. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty neat. Now, I've got a message for you guys this morning. It's a little bit, it's a little bit strange. Um, and so I want you to listen very closely and see if you can understand the message. Are you ready? Here it is. Boan Natali. Did you understand that message? Okay, let me, no comprende? Okay. Let me, let, me, let me ask it again. Let me ask it again a little different way here. Here it is. Ilimiti up. Did you understand that one? Well, y'all must not be listening closely. Listen one more time. Let me try another way. You didn't understand a single bit? What about this one? Melekali Kimaka. You didn't, know, you didn't know that one? Am I speaking a foreign language? Let me try again, see if you can get this one. Shung Thong Kwai Lub. No? You know that language? You saw it on a movie? Okay. Richardson's are watching funny movies. All right. Here, one more. Shon Wai in Nakten. 
No? Okay, I got one more, one more that I'm going to give you. Now, you listen closely, see if you get it. Merry Christmas. Yeah! You got that one? Well, I said it six times. What was your problem? It was, I said it in five other different languages. That's right. And, you know, the message of Merry Christmas is a message of God's love. And it can be said in many different, every language. Because it's a message that's meant for the entire world. The message of Merry Christmas is meant for everybody. And I hope as you guys have listened to that message, that you will also share that message with others. And so to help you, I have another little gift I want to give you today. This gift is uh, Silly Bands. Y- y'all like these things? Yeah. yeah. I, that's great. Well, this, this particular Silly Band, there's two sets of Silly Bands in this package. One to wear and one to share. And the Silly Bands are in the shape of the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph, the baby Jesus, and the characters of the nativity scene. And so you get to wear all that around your wrist. And you get to give them away to others. And so when you give away your silly bands to someone, be sure to tell them the story of Christmas. And you can share with them. Okay. You can share with them John 3.16 when you give them the silly bands. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So you know that you know that verse? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. That's the sparky key verse. Yeah, y'all know that. So you could share that verse when you give away the silly bands, and you'd be sharing the message of God's love. So you've got one to wear, one to share. Now, how sad would it have been if the shepherds heard that message and didn't go to Bethlehem? It would have been terrible. You see, Jesus would have still been born in that and placed in that feed trough, but the shepherds would have never been able to meet him. But they did believe, and they did go, And because they went and experienced the message of God's love in Jesus Christ, they were able to share it with others. And I'm praying that you kids over this Christmas season would hear the message, would believe it, and because you believe it, would share it with others. All right? So give it away this Advent season. Now, some of the helpers around us are going to have these gifts for you. You take one package. There's two sets of silly bands in there, one to wear, one to share. Have a great Advent. Have fun tonight celebrating with your families. I hope you've enjoyed the last several weeks just thinking about the Christmas story and contemplating things going on there in the Christmas story. I really enjoy that. I love talking about that with the little kids here. I love talking about it in my own home and then with you guys. And So I've been thinking about Mary and Joseph a lot and, and thinking about particularly what happened when they got back to Nazareth. You know, Mary had been gone to see Elizabeth. And after three months, she came back to her hometown, Nazareth. And so she was three months pregnant when she came home. That's when Joseph discovered that she was pregnant and making plans to divorce her. And he changed his plan because the angel, angel showed up and told him what was going on. So both Mary and Joseph knew what God was doing with this baby that Mary was carrying, now three months pregnant. And so here they are in their little small hometown of Nazareth, and the two of them understand what God is doing to the extent that he's explained it to them. And so they're aware of what's happening, and they're on board trusting the Lord, and here they are in their small hometown, Nazareth. Now, I I just guess that small towns haven't changed all that much. Who in here is from a small town? Okay, so you can understand when I say in small towns, 
everybody knows everybody's business. Isn't that right? And, and so here, Mary and Joseph from a small town, and I just suspect that everybody knew everybody's business in that small town too. And so I just can imagine that six-month period of waiting for Jesus' birth. How many times that someone glared at them with skepticism? How many whispers were happening as they walked by in the little marketplace? How many comments were made about how in the world did Joseph decide to stay with her? Wonder what happened when she was gone to come back three months pregnant and then for Joseph to still take her. I mean, all kinds of things. And I suspect it was not easy at all. And at the end of that six months, Caesar Augustus declares the census is to be taken. And so Joseph and Mary have to return to the city of David, to Bethlehem. It interests me that Joseph and Mary are going to Bethlehem, and in the biblical account, they're going there alone. They encounter things and face things there by themselves. And I just wonder, why is it that Joseph and Mary are alone? I mean, Joseph's whole family had to register. Joseph's parents had to register. Mary's family has to register. They're all from the family of David. Where are they? Why is Joseph and Mary dealing with this by themselves when Mary's nine months pregnant? So I wonder maybe perhaps their own parents were struggling with what was going on. And they get to Bethlehem and they have to register and they have to register as an engaged couple who's nine months pregnant. Now, that can't be fun. And then when they go looking for a place to stay, there's no room for them, and so they end up staying where animals stay, some stable at best, probably a cave, where they keep their animals. And then the timing of Jesus' birth is when they're staying in this place where animals live, and they have to take the newborn baby Jesus and lay him in a feed trough. I don't know about you, if you've had kids, you probably wouldn't want to lay your newborn infant in a feed trough. I mean, firstborn kids especially, third, fourth, you'd probably lay them in a feed trough. But the firstborn, I mean, you, you, you take that pacifier and you sterilize, you just buy a new one if it touches the ground with the first kid. Third kid, it's, it's been on the floor for a week, you're like, here, be quiet, you know, and it doesn't even matter. But the first kid, you're not going to lay, I mean, think about that. The, the king of kings, the king of Israel, the son of God, And Joseph and Mary are in a cave with a bunch of animals by themselves having to put the Son of God in a feed trough. If you're marrying Joseph, that's a moment when I'm certain you're going to be struggling a little bit. It's difficult. And somewhere in the midst of that difficulty, some shepherds show up. And the shepherds come and they say to Mary and Joseph, we know who the baby is because angels came and told us and they're so excited and they tell Mary and Joseph all about what the angels had told them that Jesus is the savior of the world and once again God sends a message to Mary and to Joseph to convey he's in control and this is his plan of love that's unfolding God had already done it with Mary when she went to see Elizabeth didn't have to explain things God had done it with Joseph. When Joseph was planning to divorce Mary, sent the angel to say to Joseph, and now as Mary and Joseph are in that stable, wondering what in the world's going on, when they lay baby Jesus in a feed trough, he sends these shepherds who know the message of God's love. God's in control. 
And he conveys to Mary and Joseph that he has a plan that's unfolding. Had to be pretty amazing. And it just so is that we are in the middle of that plan. That God's plan that was unfolding in those moments that he supernaturally displayed to Mary and Joseph at the birth of Jesus, we are in the middle of that plan. In the Apostle Paul's day, in his time, he was at one point visiting the city of Athens. And the city of Athens was an interesting place because they had altars to all kinds of gods all over the place. They were worshiping all kinds of different gods. And so so when Paul came into that area, his spirit was just on fire to share the gospel. He walked in and he saw all this pagan worship and he just was burdened that they would know the true God. And so every single day, either in the marketplace or the synagogue, probably both places at certain times, he would be standing up and proclaiming to that city the message of God's love, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are a couple of the philosophers of the city who came to him and said, you need to share this with what was then called the Areopagus, the ruling council of Athens. So they invited Paul to come into the Areopagus and share, and Paul was willing to comply with that offer. And so he went to share with them. And in Acts chapter 17, we see what Paul says to this ruling council in Athens. I want to read to you the message that Paul shared with this people in Athens. In Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 22. Acts 17, 22. Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Oropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. When Paul entered the Oropagus and began to share with him, I love that he built a bridge to what they are experiencing in everyday life in order to share the message of the gospel. 
he noticed that there's this altar that was the inscription of the unknown God and he immediately sees the opportunity to make a connection between what they're doing in their everyday life with the truth of the gospel. And he created that bridge in order to engage them in something that they could understand and accept. And he began to unfold to them that the, that the unknown God that they're worshiping in ignorance is some God that's knowable. It's the God who created everything. It's the God who gave you everything, who gave you life and breath and everything that you possess and is in control of every single thing that's occurring. So Paul presents a picture of God as the God who created everything they have, everything they are, and is in control of all that they experience. So much so that God has placed these people where they live, when they live. Having all the things that they have in the way that they have them. God is in control of every single thing and it is for a specific reason that God has controlled everything. And this is true of God from the moment He created the the world up until the day Paul proclaims this in Athens. God has created everything that He's created and He's controlling everything that He's created in such a way, notice what Paul says, so that people could find God. When God created Adam and Eve, He wanted Adam and Eve to experience Him, to know Him and to enjoy the things that He created for them to enjoy so that it enhanced their relationship with Him. It was all centered around the fellowship that the people He created were to have with Him. That was His purpose. That's why He did everything. That's why He's controlling everything so there'd be a loving relationship occurring between the ones He created and Himself. And so he conveys to those in Athens that God is in control of everything. He's created everything so that you might find him. But then in verse 30, he mentions repentance. That now is the time for declaring that all people everywhere repent. And notice he says that there was ignorance in the past that was overlooked. So he says all that's been happening up until this point in time has been overlooked and now is a time of declaration for repentance. Something needs to change, indicating that something is wrong. What is wrong has been so overlooked to bring us to this point in time so that now everybody everywhere should repent. What was wrong? It was clear. That God's intention for relationship with those he created had been severed. You see, the best the Athenians could do was make an altar to an unknown God. That's the closest they got to worshiping the God who wanted them to know him. And the reason that's the closest they got is because of their own sin. You see, from the time that Adam and Eve turned away from God and rebelled against Him, the brokenness and the rupture of sin pervaded the entire history of the world so that people could not find God. And the best the Athenians could do was create an altar to an unknown God. But now had come a time where God was creating a solution to the problem that history faced in the broken relationship with God. And the the solution was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being sent to the world was a solution for sin because the very sin that kept us from knowing God is the very thing that Jesus Christ came to remedy. 
So Jesus Christ coming in the first advent as the baby laid in the feed trough was precisely because it was the heart of the Father to slay His Son so that He might lavish His love on those who were deserving of His wrath and might lavish His wrath on the one who was deserving of His love. And Paul wants the Athenians to know that the same reason we need to know. Because as verse 31 says, there is a fixed day in which God will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. As sure as Jesus Christ was born in that manger and lived that life and died on the cross and rose again and ascended to heaven, as sure as those facts are, Jesus Christ will return again on a day that is fixed by God. There is nothing that can change it. God is in complete control of it. He has fixed the day. And on that day, on that day, Every single person that's ever lived will either be declared a child of God or a child of wrath. And the dividing line between those two demarcations are, is the faith that we put in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ because what Christ has done, then God transforms you because of His love and purposes into a child of God. He refashions your heart and your spirit so that you are no longer marred by sin, but you are marked by the righteousness that is Christ. And you are called a child of God. If you do not trust in Jesus Christ, then you have no remedy for your sin. There is no opportunity for you to make things right. You cannot escape the wrath of of God. It's only through faith in Christ that you become a child of God and God's displayed His love for us in the death of Christ so that we might believe in Christ and be ready for that fixed day. You see, the message of Christmas is a message of love. That God has ordained such that where you live and when you live you see and understand that message. And find yourself right in the middle of His eternal purpose. That you find Him. And that you know Him. And you enjoy Him. I can remember several years ago. When we were living in College Station. We had just moved into a a new house. We were young married at that time. We had two little kids. Weston was two and Malin had just been born. We were living in this new house. We just bought it. It was our first house to buy as a married couple. And you know how that is. When you get married, you got little kids and you buy your first house. It's just an exciting time. And it was a really fun time for us in our family life. And I remember walking down the, the sidewalk of our neighborhood. And I was just spending some time walking and praying. I remember praying and saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm so grateful and thankful for your love in my life. And I, and I, I would relate my perception of his love to the, to the things that I was enjoying in life. I, I thank you for my, my wife and my kids and our home and my job and the opportunities that God has given us. And I just kept going through all this stuff and just saying, I'm so thankful that you love me. And, and when I kind of stopped and gave a moment of silence and all this praying is like God just said, hey, if all of those things were stripped away from you. How would you know that I love you? 
And it just hit me. That the way I know God's love is strictly and solely in what he did in sending Christ to die for me. You see, the fact is, what I have and don't have, what I gain and what I lose in this life, just helps me get that God's in complete control. But God's love is understood expressly through Jesus Christ dying for me. So that if I lose everything in this life, so that if God never speaks to me again, so that if I lose everything that's good in this life that I would long to experience now, if everything is stripped from me and all I have is God's demonstration of His love through Christ, that's sufficient to know that God loves me. He loves us. And that's the message of Christmas. And that message of love that He is controlling all things so that we might see and know Him and we see and know Him expressly through the love of Christ seen in His sacrifice. That message of Christmas is one when we accept it, when we believe it, it changes everything. And it's a message of love that necessitates a response. You cannot hear this message and just not respond to it. The Athenians, when they heard the message of Paul, they said, some of them, they made fun of him. They sneered. Some of them said, we'd like to hear more about this. And some of them believed. They believed in Jesus. Only one group of those three was ready for the fixed day of judgment. Jesus Christ is appointed to judge and He will judge rightly regarding everyone's faith in Him. And the only way to be ready for that day is to respond to His message of love and believe in Him, to trust Him. I hope you'll do that. I hope that's how you celebrate Christmas, by trusting in Jesus Christ and His love for you. And if that's you, and you have embraced the love of Christ, then I pray that this Christmas season, you will give that message away. See, there are people all around you every single day here in Abilene who in some ways are much like the people of Athens. See, right now, everywhere we go, guess what people are doing? Whether whether they believe in Christ or not, At some level, almost everybody around us is celebrating the birth of Christ. They're celebrating Christmas. Now, certainly we might have certain criticisms of the way certain people celebrate, but the bottom line is they have erected little altars all around them who are celebrating some form of worship to the unknown God. They're celebrating Christmas. And we have an opportunity right now to be moving in and about our city saying Merry Christmas to all kinds of people who understand exactly what we're saying and saying to them, I want to tell you about what Christmas means to me so that what you are worshiping in ignorance, you might know because the fact is God has placed you where you live, when you live, so that you might find Him. And I recognize that He's placed me where I live, when I live, so that I might share His love with you. You have that opportunity. The message of Christmas is Merry Christmas. And it's meant to go to the world. And I pray that we will be a people because we know what we've received. 
who will give it away.